Hello, and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. This podcast's first episode features an interview with Frank Slootman, CEO of Snowflake. Frank and some of Snowflake's other executives coined the term data cloud, and Snowflake is a pioneer in helping organizations migrate their data to the cloud, manage it there, and make it accessible for machine learning and other sophisticated analytics techniques. Frank spoke about some of the powerful new capabilities enabled by the data cloud platform, including the ability to share data with an ease and convenience that was not possible before. So please enjoy this conversation between Frank Slootman, CEO of Snowflake, and your host, Steve Hamm. Hey, Frank, it's good to talk to you again. It's been quite a few months, I think. Yes. So uh, this is the inaugural Rise of the Data Cloud podcast, and it's good to speak to you first because I believe you coined the term data cloud, and Snowflake is in the middle of it. So can you start by explaining the concept of data cloud and its origin? Yes. Um, you know, I think as an industry, we've gotten used to the big data center, you know, Amazon Web Services, uh, Microsoft Azure, Google, GCP. Before that, we had the uh, software as a service clouds by Salesforce and Workday and ServiceNow and SAP and, and so on. And the data was uh, was essentially uh, ensconced and siloed in these data center clouds, as well as in all these different application clouds. So there really, uh, you know, uh, was a, a notion here that, you know, that in order to to mobilize the data that is sort of hiding in all these nooks and crannies, uh, you know, all over the infrastructure and all these different clouds, you know, to have a data cloud where we can fully mobilize that. So we really have not seen anybody in the industry step up and really pioneer and advocate for a data cloud. And of course, as, as Snowflake, we're in an ideal position to do that. Now, it's, the way I think of it is it's the mass migration of data to the cloud, and it has a lot of big implications, long-term implications for the tech industry, for business, and even for society. Can you talk through some of that? What impact is this going to have? Well, uh, we have historically struggled in terms of making use of data. We were incredibly constrained in terms of data volumes. That's where the whole term uh, big data came from. And we were constrained in terms of the amount of compute capacity that we could unleash on it so that we could run all the workloads that we wanted to run and run them at a speed so that they were they were relevant. In other words, they would show up in a timely fashion and they, they were impactful to the business. It's been really hard. You know, as an industry, we talk about data silos and data bunkers and that, that sort of gives you the impression that it's very difficult to get data in and it's even more difficult to uh, to get data out. And that has really hamstrung us in terms of, you know, making a very effective use of that data. So the cloud has started to lift a lot of those limitations and then the software started to follow in terms of its ability to take advantage of these incredible advances uh, in scale, both in data volume as well as compute capacity. And part of it, I guess, is the ability to kind of mix different kinds of data, and part of it's the ability to share data. I mean, these are things that could really transform business, right? Yes. Uh, we often talk about the siloing of data being sort of the number one challenge that enterprises and institutions have. I mean, we hear this constantly every single day. Uh, this is the frustration that people have because they can't blend and join data to gain uh, incremental insights. You know, the data is just kept within its own context, but we cannot broaden that context, you know, across brands, across customers. 
And people are really aching for you know, gaining those types of, of insights. So when you have a data cloud, the silos go away, the boundaries go away. We have the scale, we have the capacity, we can now do all these things that we could never do before. You guys have talked about a data cloud ecosystem. Can you describe how that ecosystem looks, how it works, and how Snowflake fits in? Yes. Um, now the data cloud obviously consists of a data platform. You know, think of it as a database in the cloud, you know, to use really simple terms. But then there is the data itself that then resides on that data platform. And then there's an entire industry that surrounds that data platform that is performing all kinds of functions in terms of ingesting that data, in terms of curating and preparing and transforming that data. We often refer to that as you know, extract, transfer, and load. Uh, there's an enormous amount of technology and effort uh, going into preparing the data on its way into the cloud platform. Then on the other side of the spectrum, there is the entire analytics industry. Obviously, you know companies like Tableau and Looker and many, many others. So there's the machine learning people, sort of what we refer to as advanced analytics. So there's entire industries that surround uh, the data cloud that are supporting it with uh, incremental proprietary value added. I would also add the data service providers. These are people that will read data out of the data cloud, you know, bring their proprietary you know, value to that data and then bring the results back to, uh, to whoever is, is requesting that. And then we have data companies themselves, right? Uh, I mean, there's, there's lots of companies out there that produce data for a living. And the data cloud is a way for them to allow that data to become accessible to anybody who wants it. So the data cloud becomes the, the clearinghouse for, uh, for data. So it's not done on, on a one-off bilateral basis. It's comes a real marketplace for data. So when you talk about the cloud data ecosystem, it seems like Snowflake plays a pretty important role, kind of a central role in it. Could you describe Snowflake's role? Well, Snowflake was conceived to be a data platform for the cloud. It's not a technology platform that has its uh, heritage in the on-premise data center world. So it was really one of the first uh, technology platforms that was completely re-envisioned, re-imagined for cloud-scale computing. This is really important. You know, the cloud has tremendous inherent scale and capacity, but if the software architecture cannot take advantage of that, you haven't gained much. Um, you know, I would argue that most of the software that runs in the cloud today was actually conceived in, uh, in, in machine environments for on-premise execution, right? So the fact that Snowflake really, really you know, blew up the boundaries that have existed literally for decades in terms of scale of volume, in terms of data, as well as compute capacity, really completely opened up the possibilities for, uh, for institutions and enterprises to fully mobilize the data, not just their own data, but data that they could access uh, externally from partners, data providers, and so on. That's a very, very important role. This, the data cloud is just not possible without a cloud data platform like Snowflake. Sometimes I think about your role or your company's role in the industry as, in some ways, like Microsoft and Windows back in the PC industry. You know, that was the operating system, the platform that all these tools makers and application makers and service companies built their businesses upon. It seems like Snowflake plays a similar role. Do I have that right? 
You know, at, at some level, that is correct. You know, obviously, Windows is an operating system and live lower uh, in the stack. But uh, the data layer is literally uh, one level up from the operating system. And obviously, the data center clouds are providing that layer that Windows provided in the 1990s. And essentially, what is happening here is that sort of 30 years of, of database deployment is now on its way to the cloud. And it uh, you know, opens up opportunities for completely new technologies that are built for the cloud. So whenever a new technology comes along, you have to look at it hard and evaluate it. And I think customers ask themselves, if I use this, what will I be able to do in the future that I couldn't do or I couldn't do as well before? What's your answer when they when they ask you that? Well, there's 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 a couple answers. The most the most obvious ones are that the volume of data that they can interrogate goes up by literally orders uh, of magnitude, you know, where before they might have been operating at uh, a terabyte scale. Now they're operating at, at petabyte scale and, and beyond. So that's one. So the whole notion of big data goes away because all data is big and it's, it's an irrelevant distinction. The secondly, and this is even more important, uh, is that the amount of compute capacity that we can unleash on that data results in workloads completing also orders of magnitude faster than they did before. I mean, we've seen situations where workloads used to take three hours and on Snowflake, they take three minutes. That changes absolutely everything in terms of what is now possible with that data, right? So people are scratching their head because the technology is now running ahead of customers' ability to take advantage of it. Um, those are just some of the examples. What's going on here is that we're on a run to reduce the latency of data, meaning that the faster that we can drive signals out of the data as it arrives, the quicker we can analyze it and the quicker we can act on it as an enterprise or as an institution. And uh, that speed, that reduction in latency is a hard driver for a lot of the things that we do. You know, it's interesting. I was on the phone yesterday with a software engineer from one of your customers, actually a nonprofit called Kiva. And, you know, it's a small organization, doesn't have a lot of capital. But he said that one of the important things about Snowflake and the whole cloud model was that for the first time they could afford to experiment. That in the past, they had limited capabilities. They, you know, they bought their own hardware, they managed it, and they had to run it pretty tight, you know, just kind of like have enough capacity to run their normal business. But with Snowflake and with the cloud, they could try things out. They could run a program or run a query a few seconds, a few minutes. If it doesn't work, throw it away or try something else. And he said it's really just kind of exploded the way they do things. It's made them much more creative, much more willing to try new things and to discover things. And, it, and that's, it seems like that's something that not just Kiva benefits from, even big organizations can use a, an extra burst of resources, extra burst of capacity to experiment as well. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would I would add to that, the utility model that we employ, which is really what the public cloud is all about, really opens up that opportunity because people can get started, you know, with Snowflake without making any financial uh, commitments, just pay as they go and you, you only pay for what you use. So if you have very modest plans to, uh, to do something, I mean, you're not going to get huge bills. So there is not this enormous upfront commitment and investment you have to make just to, to get some basic inquiries going. Uh, we refer to this as scaling down and, and Snowflake uh, is, is the only product I have ever seen in all my years in software that scales down all the way to the absolute 
lowest level of commitment you could possibly make to the absolute highest level of commitment you could possibly make, right? I mean, we're inside Fortune 10 companies with the largest data estates you've ever seen that, that exists on this planet. And then it scales all the way down, you know, to sort of two men and a dog that are just experimenting with the data and all, all of that on the exact same software platform. And that is new in the world of software. Well, I know that as CEO, you typically visit a lot of customers and talk to them, you know, C-suite type people. And I'm just guessing that now you're still doing some of that on Zoom. When you talk to people, what kind of reaction do you get? I mean, when, when, they t- when you ask them, well, how are things going? What kind of wow moments do they tell you about? Where customers are most surprised is the differences in performance, you know, where it took them hours and sometimes days to ingest a large data set. And all of a sudden that happens in minutes. It's very hard for them to get their head around, like, how does this thing work that it just, you know, goes from days to minutes, right? And the same thing with queries that used to take hours all of a sudden take minutes. So these are not small incremental improvements like, oh, it's running 10%, 20% faster. No, it's running 1,000% faster, right? Because it, it is capable of deploying compute capacity, huge amounts of it, but for a very short period of time, and then only pay for what you use, right? So this is unleashing power exactly the way that we want to use compute capacity. It's very exciting. The other thing that customers are uh, are stunned by is the ease of use and the approachability of platform. We've seen some some of the very largest enterprises in the world come to us and really expecting that it would take them months to become productive with Snowflake because it's a new data platform. They have to learn it. They have to become proficient with it. And then they realize that within days, they are running workloads. So uh, it is so much more approachable by relatively you know, non-sophisticated, sort of more run-of-the-mill data engineering people than what, what people have historically seen and, and what they've had to work with. Now, you and I have talked in the past about this concept that I think is really interesting. It's data network effects. Would you please explain that concept and then talk about how data sharing really promotes and accelerates data network effects? I think network effects, I think, are reasonably well, you know, understood in social media. For example, you know, things like Twitter and and Facebook, the more people that are on it, the more compelling those platforms become. If there are not many people there, it just doesn't work. And you sort of get into this mode where winner takes all or winner takes most because it just requires more and more people generate more and more value. So we, we understand that and venture capitalists are very keen on observing that kind of effect because it's very, very powerful. You know, once you have network effect in a business, it's very difficult to be unseated. Now in the world of data, it's a new concept. You know, people typically have not viewed data in terms of having network effect. But when you have a data sharing platform like Snowflake, now network effect comes into the picture. And the reason is, you know, I want to be on the platform because of whoever else is on the platform, right? If I have needs to share data, either provide it or procure it, and those people are also on Snowflake, now I have a reason to be on Snowflake other than the support of the speeds and feeds that we discussed previously. So we really see that. There's lots of people that are on Snowflake because of whoever else is on Snowflake that they have to exchange data with. And uh, it's, it's going to become an increasingly powerful uh, influence on our business because, you know, as, as we just discussed in social media, the bigger and better it gets, the stronger the effect uh, becomes. 
And I can just imagine the kind of things that companies could do with their supply chains or with their distribution chains. I mean, you want everybody to be on the same platform, sharing data, optimizing, you know, understanding each other's business, uh, just doing it. it, it look, it's kind of friction-free capitalism in a way. That, that's right. People have historically lived in their silos and their bunkers. And all of a sudden, you know, you're below those boundaries and those walls and they're sort of looking around like, wow, this is amazing. What can I do with this? Right. So they're, they're still in this surprise mode. So on data networking, uh, we believe that data networking will become more the norm than the exception. Data networking happened on an exception basis because it was so painful in the past in terms of copying and replicating and curating data and all the data quality and all the data governance issues, it was almost more work than it was worth. So when that all goes away and it becomes frictionless and seamless and effortless and data is analytics ready, now all of a sudden uh, there's an incredible impetus to seek out other sets of data and other providers of data and really enrich and augment you know, what you're already capable of doing. So we're at the very beginning of, of data networking uh, becoming a really dominant way of working with data. Now, you talked at the top about the cloud data platform being really a marketplace. And I know that you guys have built an application, a data exchange application, to really make that work really efficiently and powerfully for companies to connect with others, uh, both to share data and to buy and sell data, the whole, the, all the kinds of things that are done in marketplaces. Can you give us a few examples of how your exchange is being used? Yeah, just to understand the, the exchange a little bit better, it's, it's important to appreciate that Snowflake is essentially a federation of data. What that means is that anybody who has a Snowflake instance and a Snowflake account is actually capable of sharing data with anybody else who is on Snowflake because everything is virtual. Data really never leaves your custody you're processing against somebody else's data objects as if they are local to you and in the way they, they actually are. Because of that, uh, yes, you can be alone on your Snowflake instance and completely insulated and isolated from the rest of the world, but if you wanted to open yourself up to everybody else in the, in the Snowflake orbit, you could. That then raises the specter for, for having an exchange in the marketplace to allow people to discover and explore what possibly could be on offer. In other words, uh, and especially parties that are producing data that they think is useful and interesting to other parts of the world. So they, uh, they want to be able to list those assets and if people want to access those, uh, some of them could be accessed you know, free of charge without they're, they're publicly listed and others require permissions and maybe also a transaction where uh, people need to be paid for, for access to the data. So that's sort of the marketplace aspect of it, is that data is going to be traded like any other asset. So the fact that you get visibility to data in that way, you can discover it, you can try it, you can test it, and then you can transact on it, uh, is, is an, a critical piece of infrastructure to allow this all to happen. And it seems like it's a really important thing. When, whenever companies have to collaborate, or not just companies, organizations, because here we are in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis with impacts across healthcare, across economy, society, politics, all these things. And, you know, at first it was all hands on deck. And in fact, it still is with, with like governments, public health leaders, political leaders, all having to cooperate and collaborate. It seems like 
the data exchange is a really powerful tool for that kind of collaboration. Uh, I wondered if, are you seeing that happening on your platform? Yeah, we are. I, as a matter of fact, I was on a call uh, this morning with a nonprofit organization called the uh, COVID Alliance. They are based on, on Snowflake. It's a group of, of loosely affiliated developers. Many, if not most of them, are uh, Snowflake users, Snowflake customers. And they're building this platform that, that combines all kinds of data that would help public health officials, municipalities, you know, counties or states or at whatever level of aggregation you want to look at it, to provide data for people to, uh, to manage public health, especially as it relates to the pandemic. It's incredibly interesting that the value of the data really comes from the combining of the data because they can drill down all the way to, to the census block group. That's a lower level of aggregation than even a zip code and see density of population, see, uh, see incident rates. So it really helps public health people, you know, understand, you know, what is going on in the very granular level and then, then also take action uh, on that in a policy manner. But, uh, you know, as I said, the value is in combining and augmenting that data. And that's really what data science people do is really combining and augmenting data that, that really drives the, the unique insights. So we're in the middle of this thing. Nobody knows what will happen next, really. Are you confident that we're going to be able to navigate through this thing? And, and, and do you see an important role for technology in, in helping us get through it? Well, I think, I think we've already proven to ourselves that data is really essential because this pandemic just overwhelmed us. Uh, we didn't have much data in the beginning. So we have theoretical predictions and models that can just really take people in the wrong direction uh, and really underestimate and, and overestimate what's going on. So the lack of grounding in data was incredibly problematic in the early days of the pandemic. Now that we're a couple of months in, you know, we're now getting real data and you know, we can make much, much better decisions going forward. I'd say we're still thin, but we're way better than where we were uh, in January. I think data is critical. And when you, when you rely mostly on anecdotal observation, which is just, you know, talking to people and reading things, it's very dangerous when, because you just can't understand these kinds of phenomena with, without real data. So I think data is critical for for every walk of life, whether it's business or public health, but especially when you have something that is so pressing and where making the correct decisions is so, so impactful uh, and so consequential to our lives. Now, people talk about the recovery taking a long time, hard to predict how long and, and what shape it'll take. But even as we think about the recovery, we also have to think about the future. I mean, what are the things that we learn from this that we can use to try to prepare the economy, prepare society to uh, make it more resilient, kind of help us head off crises or, or respond to them better. Do you see a, a role for technology in that? Yeah, I mean, I think we're uh, you know going forward, we're we're going to be in so much better shape because the technology that's uh, that's under development right now, like like the example I gave you about the COVID lines, mm -hmm. these are things that are not just useful for for this pandemic. They're, they're going to be essential public health management tools for any kind of public health situation that we're going to have in the future. Right now, everything is being envisioned and built from, from scratch, but in, you know, in, in years and, and decades to come, we're going to have tons and tons of systems and data and infrastructure that we can instantly mobilize when these things happen. 
I think we're just a victim of the fact that this hasn't happened in our lifetimes and we're literally having to boot from scratch to get useful systems and capabilities in place. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost as if, you know, well, the whole idea of machine learning is that you train the machine on what happened in the past. Yet we know that incredible, surprising and unexpected things can happen all of a sudden with huge implications. So it's almost like, in a way, you have to kind of rethink machine learning in a way. So you're prepared better for these unexpected things. Are any of your partners working on anything like that? Well, data science people really tried to describe behavior with data. In other words, if they can accurately describe data, then they can also start to predict it. Uh, right. So you go from description to prediction and from prediction, you go to prescription. In other words, you know, the, the what to do, right? Not what's going to happen, but what to do. So descriptive models are incredibly important. That is the foundation of data sciences. You, you've got to start with understanding how does it work, right? I mean, for example, we have people on our Snowflake data exchange, uh, the star schema, people that have the incredibly detailed incident data on COVID that is now being combined with weather data. Now, what does weather data have to do with uh, with COVID incident data? Well, people have uh, speculated that temperatures and humidity have an effect on, on the virulence of the virus. Well, with data, you can actually prove that to what degree that is actually true. And then with weather forecasts, you know, we can make very accurate predictions as to you know what, what kind of public health activity and contagion we're going to see. So descriptive behavior is is really where it starts. And from there, we move on to prediction. This is what data science people do for a living. And uh, we're becoming very sophisticated as a society and much more to come in, uh, in years to come. I actually read that there is a theory, a hypothesis backed by some evidence that particulate pollution, the kind that you get, you know, some in some industrial situations, but certainly in cities with lots of traffic, that those little tiny particles are almost like little balloons carrying these virus elements around, and that that has been a factor. And these are things that no one ever guessed about before, but they're they're interrogating the data very closely. They're asking wide open questions, assuming we don't know. And they're coming up with these really amazing answers that could lead to you know changes in the way we operate our society. It's a terrible time, but it's also Sometimes when I think about it, I say, you know, there could be some good coming out of this, some good knowledge and maybe a better society in the future. So. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that the public health people are extremely fixated on, uh, number one, density of population, and number right. two, the movement of population. Those are two factors that have huge influence. Uh, if you go to rural states, I mean, all, all their contagion comes from from movement because they don't have it in their environment. Somebody brings it in. So movement is incredibly important and density. Of course, the closer people live to each other, the more intense the, uh, the experience becomes. So let's, let's switch gears here. Let's look out beyond kind of this COVID framework. You know, we don't know how long it'll last, but at some, at some point we get beyond it. Look out over the next five or 10 years. How do you see data changing the landscape for businesses and, and even for individuals? I think the big change that we're we're already seeing in uh, in digital enterprises uh, that will pretty much become the norm for for all institutions is that data is going to move from just informing people to driving operations directly, and this is a big change. I mean, historically, you know, data was used to generate reports, to populate dashboards, and you know, people would 
consume that data in some form or another and then make determinations on that. I, I, I refer to that as anecdotal observations. It's based on, on, on people interpreting data. Where we're moving from that mode of consuming data to where data is driving the enterprise directly. So signals are driven out of data as it comes in. They are programmatically uh, assessed and acted upon uh, by the business and with, with almost no latency, meaning that it's speed of light, right? And digital enterprises already you know, do this, obviously, uh, the likes of Google and Facebook pretty much wrote the book on it. And since then, whole generations of digital companies have followed suit and the, uh, the data platforms really become the beating heart of these organizations. Everything revolves around data. Uh, they perceive their entire business, their entire world through data. It's no longer through people and anecdotal observation. That is an absolute sea change in terms of how we do things. And when you have a dislocation like we have right now, you can't rely on anecdotal observation because we just we, it's just impossible, right? And, and when it's business as usual, yeah, you, you can rely on anecdotal observation much better. But when things are upside down, you have to have data. And I think it's been incredibly obvious that the lack of data has really complicated public policy uh, on this crisis. Yeah. Well, I just want to drill down on something you said just a minute ago. We're talking about programmatic use of data. Really, in a sense, that's a vision of you know, the humans design the system, they use machine learning probably to to tune it up, and then they let it go. And unless there's a problem, the humans don't really have to get involved. I mean, a lot of these routine things, uh, tuning of the business or, or approving things, those can be done based on logic and rules and things like that, right? Is that, is that something that you're talking about? Yes. Uh, I'll give you more more pedestrian examples. I mean, yeah. uh, organizations, you know, they procure life event data. What's a life event? You know, uh, somebody changes jobs, somebody passes away, somebody gets divorced. And people will infer from those life events that these people will now be open to, you know, certain kinds of offerings. So, for example, when, when you change jobs, somebody's going to be open to moving their IRA possibly. So, you know, financial companies will then proposition digitally uh, these people with, with offers to, uh, to move that IRA, right? And obviously when you take out a mortgage, I think everybody's used to getting like, you know, 10 mailers in the post box, you know, making all kinds of offers for all kinds of things because they know that, you know, buying all triggers, all kinds of other purchases. That is how data is used. We, we, and we, we call those things signals that drive all kinds of behaviors, outreaches, uh, targeting, offers, changes in experience. And that is really how the enterprise starts to operate. It processes signals that it drives out of the data, and then it, it takes action as a consequence of that. And these things run completely unmediated by humans. They end-to-end uh, transact programmatically, and there is not a person in that sequence of events uh, at all. And that's obviously, you know, we, we've already seen that from the likes of Google and Facebook for a long time. But now this is uh, showing up in much more mainstream businesses. You're talking really about a fundamental transformation of what business has done. And really, and you've talked about, you know, being a, a data-driven business. And I guess this is this is what it is. Now, how do you see Snowflake fitting into this landscape? What's your vision of Snowflake for the next decade? Well, Snowflake is the critical enabler for digital transformation because without a data platform, you cannot digitally you know, transform. So the whole notion of the data cloud, which is what Snowflake is, 
is the essential building block for the digital enterprise and for, I should say, for digital institutions because, you know, public sector, you know, higher ed, uh, they're all becoming incredibly digital in their orientation. So you can't live without this kind of a platform for very long. And uh, I think that uh, organizations are acting on that. They're realizing that some people are at the leading edge of adoption. Some people take a little bit longer. That's normal. But as a whole, this is the transition that we're moving through. Now, we should probably tell the listeners that you and I have worked together. We've co-authored a book, The Rise of the Data Cloud, same name as the podcast. It's about one half the story of Snowflake's journey from the initial idea to what it is now. And the second half really drills down on how the data cloud is changing the game for individual businesses and whole industries. What kind of impact do you hope the book has? Well, the the book was really an attempt to bring a much more detailed perspective on what we're doing. You know, we're, we're living in a world where everything is cliff notes and headlines and very and, and slogans, very shallow descriptions and perceptions of what's going on. And you know, we felt it necessary to bring much more color and texture to this conversation so that people could really consume it in a way that it that it needs to be evaluated and, and understood because it is so profound. It is not something that you go like, yeah, check, I got it. We're moving on to the next thing. That's why we wanted to produce the book to give people the, really the full depth of context to uh, what's going on here and bring ver- vertical industry examples uh, to it so they could uh, really get their arms and their heads around it and, and, and make really thoughtful uh, follow-on decisions. Well, I was very happy to be involved in the book. Thank you guys for bringing me in. I, I learned a lot. I thought I knew you know pretty much about the tech industry, but this was really a new area for me. And I really feel, well, I drank the Kool-Aid, frankly. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's been good talking to you today, Frank. You as well. Thank you. Yeah. We saw each other for relatively frequently for a few months, but now we got this COVID thing. So I hope that we get to see each other in person, you know, in the not too distant future. Definitely. Thanks, Steve. So long. That does it for this episode of Rise of the Data Cloud. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by Snowflake. To see how you can get secure and easy access to any data with near infinite scalability, visit snowflake.com.